morning, everyone. It's Friday, March 5th. I'm Charlie Fink. It's This Week in XR uh, with my friend and co-conspirator, Ted Chilowitz, the futurist uh, for Viacom. Morning, Ted, Charlie. how are you doing this morning? I'm good. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in the weeds for uh, an interesting uh, thing. We're going to have our guest later to talk about uh, why. But uh, for those that uh, you were in the production world for a long time, I was in the production world for a long time. We always to often say we're in the weeds. We have a lot of things going on. We're in the weeds. So I'm in the weeds today. Well, uh, we have uh, Melitia Zek uh, talking about her VR production tree, uh, the critically acclaimed production that's been around the world and uh, her plans going forward. So uh, Ted collaborated with her on that project. So uh, I'm excited to speak with her at the end of the news segment. So speaking of news, Microsoft on stage at Collision blowing everybody's mind with two very, very interesting and innovative uh, approaches to uh, AR. One, of course, World Mesh. We've been talking a lot about a one-to-one -one digital copy of the world appended exactly to it. Uh, mm -hmm. Of course, LiDAR on the iPhone 12 uh, can create such things. And now we're seeing Mesh in the HoloLens doing that on the fly. Right, so, so Microsoft had their big Ignite conference uh, and, and there's tons of sessions and all kinds of things. But Satya, the CTO, chose to kick off the entire conference with a focus on mixed reality, which I think is really important for our trajectory and our understanding of the stuff you and I have been professing that this is going to really be important. And the CEOs of companies like Microsoft and Apple are very overt about their understanding of where the next compute platform is gonna go. So they decided to kind of have an all-in moment this week. Uh, I actually, and it's interesting, they, they were also, pretty collaborative. So they asked people that had Oculus Quests to go into Altspace, which Microsoft bought a couple of years ago, which is a social platform, um, and watch if they had a, a VR headset, watch the experience in, in Altspace. And they really promoted the Quest as opposed to their own Microsoft VR headsets, which never really sort of got the kind of traction. So they kind of went with the tide, which is interesting. The experience in Altspace was you know, average at best, it was fine. They, they did an, 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 an acceptable job, but they did sort of just lean on a theatrical kind of like, you know, avatars and then watching a movie screen. And they had uh, captures of, uh, of Satya and Alex and others, uh, but they did bring some heavy hitters in at the end to really show their, their level of commitment to this, which I thought was interesting. They had James Cameron come on and do a little chat inside Altspace. And you could just watch this on YouTube or if you, you're on any of the, the portals that Microsoft has, if you wanna see the 2D video version of it. Uh, and they brought in uh, Guy from Cirque du Soleil and John from Niantic uh, to demonstrate a little moment of what Pokemon Go would look like once you break it out of that magic window problem. And I thought it was really, Pretty important, you know, a little Microsoft stiff, but very important to see this this trajectory that it was headed on. Of course, Microsoft, since they came out with the Microsoft with the HoloLens too, has been hinting that there could be more of a consumer uh, twist on it in the future. Uh, of course, there's not going to be anybody paying three thousand dollars for the device and then five thousand dollars for an Azure license. Right. Uh, but uh, certainly, you can see how the technology is getting better 
and better. One thing that they demonstrated that's gotten a little less attention but is no less exciting is their new approach to holoportation or uh, remote uh, holographic telepresence so that uh, wearing a HoloLens, Ted would appear to me to be virtually present, fully embodied here in my office, and the opposite would be true on Ted's end. There have been traditionally, Microsoft in 2016 uh, made a demo, which was later revealed to be entirely fake, uh, of uh, someone speaking with a child who was in a remote location, and um, you know they were using uh, the Microsoft uh, sensors uh, to create that 3D image, which, you know, had some dropout and was blurry, but was acceptable. So it turns out that that actually wasn't real. They were in rooms next to each other. So they took out the equation of bandwidth altogether, which is the critical factor. And now they've come back with a real approach. Yeah, yeah. And, and their way around it is to create an avatar of you. Right. So that all they're really doing is some sound and positional information. Uh, that's all they have to put out uh, over the wire to create the illusion. Of course, you still need an external sensor, but uh, you know the sensors are. You know, uh, I think uh, we bought one at Chapman for less than a thousand dollars. Yeah, they're, they're becoming lower in cost. Yeah, they're, they're not consumer. They're prosumer and business enterprise right now. Um, but you again, like most tech coming down as VR has uh, very, very rapidly. So I thought that was pretty exciting, a good approach. The avatars looked very impressive. Uh, so yeah, and I think it's important to point out um, that when we see these big tech giants start to go into a sector, it's, and you know, I do this a lot. It's always important to point out who is leading them the way. And, and it's really the small startups that have start, started that spark. And I will always want to make sure that people know there's companies like Spatial IO that have been doing this already in Hollywood. HoloLens. Dem demoed using the HoloLens when they uh, yes. made their big splash at Mobile World Congress in 2019. And, and like we all, we like VR chat as kind of the leading, you know, as, as Facebook does Facebook Horizons and they keep pushing on it. It's always those young, small companies that I think are important to keep calling out for all of our viewers and well, stuff. I got early access to um, Facebook Horizons, uh, which graphically is very impressive. But in exchange for that early access, I agreed not to say anything bad about it. So let's move on from that topic. Uh, um, Omni the location-based entertainment company that puts you in a harness and you wear overshoes with ball bearings and inside of a giant plastic dish, you can run. And it's a new approach to embodiment, right? Everybody hates the navigating with the joystick, it makes you sick. But if you teleport, it makes it more like a video game. Yeah. So here's a solution where you can run around, uh, And uh, they've got a home version, right? Their location-based business, which was based on the Omni Arena, and they were building that into a kind of hyper-localized esport, uh, you know, which had tons of potential. But I think they and everybody else recognizes that location-based entertainment may face some headwinds in the long term. Uh, so they've come up with this version and uh, they've offered it through a crowdfunding platform, Seed Invest, and they've just broke every record that Seed Invest had, $11 million, 4,000 individual investors. Um, I think there may be some demand here, Ted, 
for uh, some yeah. kind of an omnidirectional treadmill. This is another thing I've been talking about for quite a long time, as you know, the, this concept of the rec room of the future, right? Like people have home theaters, people have uh, game rooms and rec rooms, and they would have a foosball table and a ping pong table. And in the future, people want to go further than just the VR headset. They want to actually have a, a place to be in these futuristic environments. And this is one approach. I remember years ago, Charlie, at the very beginnings of this renaissance of of VR when we were all experimenting with uh, you know, Oculus DK1s and going to these conferences in San Jose. It was a tiny little company that basically just built sensors on your feet and you just ran in place. And you know, it didn't require all this, this gack of the whole thing. And it worked remarkably well. They, they, I don't think they ever sort of got anywhere with it, but it was just one of those things that I just keep hoping that someone brings that back too, because we need different solutions for this kind of yeah. stuff. And, and I think that the treadmill problem, if you will, it, and of course, they just didn't address this in Ready Player One. But the treadmill problem is you have to be held in place. Yeah. And it's still a treadmill. It still takes up it's lots of physical. treadmill and, and you get winded and, and you sweat, which is yeah. always an iffy thing in VR because you're being shot by zombies, but now you're fogged up. So, um, <laughs> you know, there's some challenges with that approach. Um, but people want locomotion and it's sort of be careful of what you wish for. I just think it's an important step because if you have 4,000 enthusiasts today, you'll have 4 million in five years, right? So it's really I, interesting. I never would have predicted that. So good on Omni. And uh, I really, really hope this catches on. The, yeah, you know, the, the problem is people have to use their software development kit. So Omni is building or adapting titles themselves. Right. So they have to get to a scale where it would make sense uh, for developers to offer a version which um, uh, integrates the Omni. But uh, a lot of fun, very forward thinking. And uh, I agree, some kind of treadmill uh, is going to come along that really is going to capture people's uh, imagination and wallets. It could be the Omni. Um, but uh, there are also, as you pointed out, other solutions that haven't yet gotten that kind of traction, uh, but, uh, but it's early days. I was an advisor to a small company out of Australia that's still kicking it around with something called Alto, which was another approach to this, a disc that you sort of moved and leaned on to, to sort of move forward and backward. And they, they may still have a path forward too. We, we just keep an eye on all these things. There's all kinds of little companies. Interesting, interesting segment. Uh, moving on to the Ocu rumored Oculus Pro and the not talked about Oculus for Business, which all of a sudden I've heard about from three different subjects that... I interviewed, so I guess Oculus does have a version which does not have to tether to a personal smartphone, which is the biggest obstacle that the Quest has faced in enterprise, but apparently there is. So for all of you, you in enterprise, <laughs> write to Oculus because they've got this thing. Um, smart of them, of course, because otherwise Pico was going to eat their lunch uh, in the enterprise segment. So you, know, you have to be able to remotely control and manage the software on the Quest. Now, there's nothing wrong with employees and people using the Quest for other experiences, but it has to be controlled by IT. There may be license issues and other things that have to be solved um, before you put uh, software onto 4,000 headsets. Uh, for example, Bank of America just got 4,000s of, of these puppies that they've sent to their branches and that they're going to use for training and they will be remotely managed 
by some Bank of America IT central network. No tethering it to the smartphone, which was, of course, the advantage that the Pico offered. I mean, the Pico has eye tracking and other things. So it, lots of lots of good reasons to buy the Pico. So, uh, but, you know, obviously the Quest is... Uh, a relatively cheap device. People will be used to it from using it at home. This is exactly what I said was going to happen. People will see this technology at school and at work before often they end up with it at home. But then they become an uh, informed consumer, right. right? I mean, lots of people saw VR um, in location-based entertainment um, so that when it was finally offered uh, at a reasonable price, they could uh, jump on it because they had a sense of, of what they were going to get. Um, yeah. But going back to uh, uh, Oculus, so that's the pro, that's the enterprise edition. What is the pro edition going to offer? Yeah, this is a this is a, a, a piece of news that like I don't have much information on. All I can do is reflect backwards at the last time we all gathered in person at, a, at an in-person Oculus event. They had a whole section of that convention that was the enterprise part of Oculus when it was you know, still the Quest One uh, as their demonstrable and, and the Oculus Go, right? They were, were using those, those tools. Um, and uh, they had partners. So like they had our, our friends at Tailspin and others that were demonstrating. And this was before you, you talked about it as like tethered to the smartphone, which I think what you're talking about is that you have to have a Facebook, a personal Facebook account, right? To sort right, of- And then you have to have your, your smartphone is the key. Right software right it's what's telling the headset that you own it yeah so so now they 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 had to figure out a way to migrate that for for institutional and enterprise use um and i think they've always been involved in this because they obviously put money and time into this enterprise approach and they probably just defocused for a while when they were focusing on quest 2 and then their business affairs folks said okay let's like start to refocus on this business again because it is important business that we don't want to give up to so uh, let's finish on one quick topic and uh, then start talking um, about tree VR, sure. uh, NFTs, still going crazy. <laughs> it's it's like you and I have been talking about NFT for years, knowing that there's something it. in the background. It's, it's driven by the enormous wealth um, that a lot of um, smaller investors are getting out of crypto. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I think it's the same reason who would spend $30,000 on a parcel in some minimum space. Well, somebody who just made several hundred million dollars on crypto. And apparently there are perhaps millions of those people. Yes. And so, it, it's just interesting that, you know, NFT was sort of this underground thing up until a week ago. And now based on the power of social media, the, the media sphere, the internet sphere, and then all the news stories, it's like suddenly it's this humongous thing that everybody is locking into almost overnight. It's fascinating how much talk about it. But you and I, I think reflected on this in, in one of our earlier podcasts about the, the digital canvas becoming real, right? As these devices get more and more sophisticated, the amount of time we spend in our personal art gallery, which is our computer, our smartphone, and for some of us, a VR and AR headset, that becomes just as real as a physical thing you would mount on the wall, right? So it makes sense that people have an awareness of how you tie value to that. And when you can tie actual value to that because it's no longer something that just can be duplicated over and over again, like a sports moment. If you look at the, the top shop stuff that has happened with the NBA, hundreds of millions of dollars raised to basically sell a moment in an NBA game that's just traditional 2D video, a clip, 
but if you assign it value and say this is a gallery object now and tie it to the blockchain so it actually can hold value it's a one of a kind or like a lithograph if they print a hundred of them or a thousand of them or a hundred thousand of them it can have real value so it's amazing you know yeah, yeah. so we'll keep following this uh, i think it 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 goes to uh, you know what kind of goods inside of the metaverse are going to have value mm-hmm so, uh, like I said, there's, you know, Second Life established that there is value in digital land and value in digital clothing and, and other um, art objects, you know, 3D objects made by other users. So that's going to be a huge, huge aspect uh, of the metaverse going forward is user-generated content. I've been running around talking about that this year, uh, along with remote uh, collaboration and virtual conferences. So uh, thanks for listening to this segment. The news pretty interesting this week. And um, we're going to go now to a new segment uh, where we meet with individual artists, producers, and entrepreneurs and hear about their business and their art. Today, we're joined by Melicia Zek, um, Ted's friend from Belgrade, who made the fantastic VR experience tree, which I saw at Tribeca in 2018. Uh, Melicia, welcome, uh, and thank you for joining us this afternoon. Uh, I'm so happy you guys uh, invited me to join you this morning. Ted, Ted, you and Melicia work together on Tree, right? Yes. So, so I've been an advisor on this project, which is why I'm I'm in the in the nature this today for the visual version uh, that I thought uh, would be appropriate. Uh, it's been a really important, inspirational project. Melicia is a really interesting human being that uh, has a lot to say and a lot of really interesting approaches to technology as it relates to projects that make people aware of what is going on on the planet around us. So I've been very inspired by it. And she and I met at Sundance many years back and then connected up when she was uh, showing her first project that was accepted into Sundance called Giant, which is a really important piece of work and moved on to Tree. And now she's got a new project that she can tell us a little bit about that's expanding on Tree. So I'm very excited to have her here. And she's from a very interesting place in the world too, she can tell us. Well, <laughs> Melicia, first, why don't you describe Tree for us so we have some context for the rest of our chat. Okay, Tree experience. Um, so Winslow and I, who are creators of Tree, um, decided to speak about climate change, but not in a way how we all used to hear about it, right? Through documentaries or through news reports. This has all been done and it's amazing and did a great job, but we thought, what if we go a step further? And what if we place you in a position of a, of a tree that is undergoing this process of deforestation? Maybe because a lot of us don't live in rainforests or might not even visit them, we thought to use VR, what, what better tool uh, to t- transport you there. So three experience begins outside of headset actually. Uh, for us, VR is not just like, uh, you know, that like VR is almost when you approach our physical installation. Uh, <clears throat> so what we did, um, we give you this seed of a tree that you're about, about to become. And we ask you to plant it in a soil. So we have this we thought like we are talking about nature, but we don't have anything natural, right? Like we are using virtual. So we wanted you to touch a seed, plant it in a soil. And then you put the headset on and you realize that you became that seed and that you are under, you know, in the soil. And then you start growing 
you emerge, you know, above the ground and you start getting trunk, your body becomes trunk and your arms become branches. And then you keep growing, you start seeing animals and trees, uh, birds flying around you and, and you're enjoying your life until you reach the fullest height. Um, and in that moment, you're kind of actually one of the tallest trees in the rainforest and everything is so peaceful. There is a <clears throat> breeze that like, greets you. Um, everything that's kind of like this peaceful before the storm moment. Uh, and that's actually the moment where you start hearing and seeing the fire coming towards you. You hear humans and you start you know, smelling the smoke, we also use smell, we use vibration, we, we use sapec that is vibrating backpack. So you start, like your body starts vibrating, you start smelling it. We also use heat, you feel that heat. <clears throat> and that, that's how we end. But we didn't wanna leave you there, right? We just, we want to show you the problem. But at the end of experience, when you take off the headset, we give you back that seed that you just embodied we put it in the envelope with a little message, take this seed as a reminder to keep our forest standing. Uh, and, and that's how we end. We kind of, now this is your to take and, and your to do what you like with it, right? Either and plant it or keep it. Melitia, talk about the, um, the emotional reaction to so many people that when you've taken this around the world and some of the conferences that you've taken it at and the festivals, as people come out of that, you know, just a few minute experience where you embody the tree and then there's a very dramatic event at the end. Um, talk about the, how, how people reacted to it around the world. Yeah, that's what really made tree travel around the world for, I mean, since, since its premiere at, at Sundance Film Festival in 2017. It really, from that day, really onward, until COVID kind of stopped us from showing it at physical places, but we are already kind of getting invites. The, the reason for all of this were those emotions of people, actually. And that's kind of like the, the, what we realized, and that's what we hoped to achieve. And then we realized and witnessed with our own eyes that really like to change someone's mind is almost first you have to change their heart, right? So a lot of people came out of the headset you know, we were on most of these festivals, we were there to, look, to put the headset on you and take it off. So you can't hide that emotion because people look like they were there. And a lot of them come out either in tears or visibly shaken. I would say probably 90, 90 which is a huge percentage of people, right? Yeah. Um, come out touched on, on such a level. And what's fascinating is that we really didn't even need to advertise three uh, three became like a, because of that word of mouth. So someone comes at the festival and they're like, okay, let's bring my, you know, father, mother, sister, my friend. And then we go, that's how we get invited to another city in the world. And, and they tell their friends and it's, it's been like that for, for years. Yeah. I, I you know, as, as being a small part of that project, I witnessed it over and over and over again, people going into the headset, a little skeptical coming out emotionally overwhelmed by what this type of visual and sensory experience can do to someone to make them aware of something. We have just a, a couple minutes left. Do you want to talk about the trajectory forward for just a moment as to what you're working on now? Yeah, because we understood, we did travel for several years and we showed three to about 100,000 people, which is a big number for VR, but it's not really a big number for 
for climate change, what's happening, like six to seven billion people need to understand what are we doing to the planet now, right? So how do you scale that? VR not at the moment because VR didn't become so widespread uh, as we all hoped. Uh, it's taking its own time, as you guys know. But AR could be that solution, right. and and porting, creating an experience uh, around deforestation, but on your phone, right? So that we can at least. I think that there is around probably 2.5 billion AR compatible devices as of now around the planet. So that's already a bigger reach. So that's what we are working on, creating ideas around the mobile game, basically. And if, and if people want to learn more about Tree and, and you know, go online and watch some of the videos of people in it and see some of the background, you have a website and some things you might want to let people know about? Yeah, the website is treeofficial.com. There we go. Good. Great. Charlie, any other questions? No, highly recommended. And uh, I hope that people get to see Tree uh, with the full location-based treatment that you gave it at Tribeca, because that, you know, made it really memorable. I mean, VR experiences tend to stick with you better than things you see on video, but it was the human touch in it that I think provided, you know, the necessary connection, you know, that we can't get being outside of the rainforest itself. So anyway, um, bravo. And uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, more of your work. And, um, you know, hopefully I, I'd love to see you do some, you know, stuff that, that can get up on Steam or, or on Oculus and really reach. Because I think the VR audience, it, it scaled slowly or more slowly than we wanted, uh, for sure. But now we're on a trajectory where, you know, in less than three years, you're going to be talking about considerable mass, 20 million headsets or more and then things will start to happen quickly right it's sort of like what happened to the internet well it happened very slowly and then all at once uh, so uh, I, I think that's going to happen with vr and it would be great to have that work be more accessible of course you'd have to have a somewhat different creative strategy uh, but it seems like with the amount of thought and the quality of the team that's already gone into this uh, i think it uh, it really could be a hit and reach a lot of people in a way that's different than almost everything else we find commercially, you know, in, in the Oculus store and on Steam. So uh, anyway, thank you for coming. It was great to meet you. It was a pleasure to be with you, both of you. Thank you for the support and yeah, for for being so positive about all of this. Well, and it's you. interesting for me because Melissa as, a, as an individual is talented and inspired, like she, stays with it. It's not an easy road to go down to, to do this stuff in an, in a, in emerging medium and show something that's really important for all of us, this, this existential threat that is continuing to, you know, pound in on us from all aspects. So I, I just you can't do you enough to keep it in the conversation. Uh, have a great weekend and uh, we'll look forward to meeting you in the real. <laughs>